Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Week two has come and gone in the college football season and in the ACC specifically. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Action Packed, a podcast all about the Atlantic Coast Conference right here on the Fans First Sports Network. I am Corey Cohen, and with me as always, my esteemed co-host, Andy Pregler. Andy, how are you? You know, I'm not doing so great with my NFL fandom this wonderful day. However, I am feeling good about the ACC because, man, uh, this was a fun slate of games involving our ACC schools. Some maybe closer than other schools would have liked them to be. And all things considered, with all the thunderstorms and all the rain delays that we saw this week, I'm glad that we got some pretty solid action in uh, across the conference. Yeah, a lot of lot of lightning delays, a lot of rainstorms. It was it was rough here on the Atlantic coast, but a really fun weekend of college football. So we are going to run you through all the best action in the ACC in week two, then preview the week three games that we're looking forward to, as well as give you our top five power rankings of the ACC. Of course, you can follow, subscribe to this podcast, to this podcast channel, wherever you get your podcast, just follow and subscribe to Fans First Sports Network, FFSN, College Football, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, and you will get new episodes of Action Packed every single week. So, Andy, let's jump right into it with an ACC-SEC battle, Miami hosting Texas A&M in Miami Gardens. There was some mocking about the Hurricanes. They couldn't sell enough tickets. They were trying to give tickets away, buy one, get one to Georgia Tech. The fans didn't matter. What mattered was down on the field, and the Hurricanes beat Texas A&M 48-33. Another victory for the ACC over the SEC. What did you think about this one? I was, you know, pleasantly surprised uh, in the same way that I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised by Tyler Van Dyke. You know, 21 of 30, super efficient for 374 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, You know, he had an ESPN QBR of 94.6, which is near perfect. Uh, I thought that the way that that offense was handling itself, uh, it was well, it was incredibly impressive. Uh, the I one of the biggest questions that I had about Miami coming into this season was, what is a healthy Tyler Van Dyke look like in this offense that wants to be a bit more spread out and pass happy than you would expect a typical Mario Cristobal team to be. And the answer is that against a Texas A&M team that has at least the athletes to be a great defense, 
if Tyler Van Dyke needs to throw to win a game, we have the answer now. Yep. And it was a question that I didn't think would be answered in the affirmative, but uh, Xavier Restrepo had 126 yards on six catches. Jacoby George, 94 yards on five receptions with three touchdowns. Kobe Young had six catches, 75 yards. Like they were slinging the ball to everybody. And if that is the Miami offense that we get for the rest of this season, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some of the other games that happened here, but I really am starting to buy that this Miami team could contend for one of the two spots in the ACC title game, which is not something that I would have said two weeks ago. Not something I would have said 48 hours ago. It's pretty wild because <laughs> I'm in agreement with you. We've talked about North Carolina and the way that they've built their team and that it's offense and that they can pass the ball, Drake make and sling it anywhere. And I'm starting to think that Miami's right there. I know it's early and we'll talk about the UNC game in just a second, but Tyler Van Dyke looks about at the level that Drake May does thus far. As you said, five touchdowns, 374 yards, and it was spread around the field. They barely ran the ball. They did not establish the run in a traditional sense. 89 running yards, sack adjusted. But it was almost entirely a passing offense, and they succeeded. And so we were talking last week about North Carolina and Drake May, how he can just sling it down the field and that ultimately it's just going to be tit for tat. You've just got to keep up with Drake May. And I'm starting to think that's going to be the case with how teams play Miami, that you just have to try to keep up with Tyler Van Dyke and the Miami offense. I'm in agreement with you, Texas A&M. I don't know exactly what's happening there. They do have a lot of talent. I don't know if Jimbo Fisher's past his prime, if the NIL money is actually almost negatively affecting just because you've got a lot of guys who aren't there for, they're not buying into the system. They're there for whatever other reasons, which again, get your money, but Texas A&M kind of what everyone thinks of in terms of oil money, NIL, deep pockets, all of that. And so they've got the money and the prowess to get these recruits in there but it just has not translated onto the field. Miami, on the other hand, there's still a pretty referential NIL situation going on down there. They've got some, some deep pockets in South Florida. But so far, it seems like it might actually be working for them. We kind of thought it would backfire hiring Mario Cristobal, a lot of these coaches they've hired. We weren't sure if it was going to work, but it's early. Miami, though, with a statement victory at home, their offense looks like it's it's one of the best in the ACC. Yeah, I I think one of the things that we are going to talk a lot about with the Miami Hurricanes from here on out is going to be uh, the defensive prowess. Um, you know, Miami over the next couple of weeks, like they're playing Bethune, Cookman, Temple, and Georgia Tech over the next three weeks. Those should be at this point three W's uh, to bring Miami to five and zero, and then they have to go on the road to Chapel Hill to play North Carolina. And I think the real question in that game is going to be can the defense figure out enough uh, to get some stops. Like one of the big, one of the big reasons why I'm genuinely surprised this game um, ended the way it did was that Miami was only third uh, three for nine on third downs, but they weren't in a ton of third down situations. Meanwhile, they were able to get Texas A&M into 18 third down situations and Texas A&M was able to convert eight of them. You know, eight for 18 isn't a great percentage if you're Texas A&M, but it's not an elite defensive performance either. Um, and I think I think that's going to be the thing we see with Miami is that they're, the defense is not going to be to the level of Florida State's defense. 
but can they develop something where you are getting to 18, 20 third down situations per game. You are in a situation where Miami defensively gets lots of opportunities to kill your momentum and kill your drives. Uh, If the defense is able to do that, then I think Miami is in a position where they can be one of, you know, a consistent top 15 team uh, in the country for the rest of the season. Uh, it's it's just kind of wild to me that when you you kind of look at what Texas A&M tried to do, uh, Texas A&M also did not try to run the ball very much. They they had 30, uh, 30 attempts, um, but they also threw the ball 53 times. <laughs> and they, you know, Connor Weigerman only averaged 6.3 yards uh, a completion. And once you adjust that for attempts like that, yards per attempt is, is dropping real low. And I think that that's the recipe for success on the Miami defense. It's just a question of when you're going up against a Travis Hunter, when you're going up against a Drake May, uh, are they just too good for that system to work? I don't know, but I, I feel pretty confident now saying that Miami can beat pretty much anybody in the ACC outside of Florida State and North Carolina. I'm in agreement. And even North Carolina, I wouldn't necessarily say is unbeatable. And we've got a few weeks to to build that game up and either team could slip North Carolina with a little bit tougher competition before the game. But that could be a massive game between the Tar Heels and the Hurricanes. Before we move off this game, I know we don't love to beat our chests here about the ACC, about the conference. We sort of we sort of know the place of the conference. However, it might be time to have a little bit of a conversation about the ACC and the SEC because through two weeks of college football, there have been five matchups between the ACC and the SEC. And right now, the ACC has won four out of those five matchups. The only loss was Virginia losing to Tennessee. But North Carolina beat South Carolina. Florida State beat LSU. Miami beat Texas A&M. Wake Forest beat Vanderbilt. I know nobody's played Georgia. I know nobody's played Alabama necessarily, but... Is it time to have a conversation that in terms of the middle of the pack, the SEC isn't all it's cracked up to be this season, and the ACC actually looks pretty deep? I think that this is one of those seasons where the ACC is going to be pretty deep and at the level of the Big Ten or the SEC. Um, I think what you've seen is that the SEC gets this reputation because consistently uh, they are able to churn out a middle class that has a much higher ceiling and higher floor than you see in the ACC. But I think this season is kind of showing that, uh, you know, Pac-12 is definitely the quarterback conference, but I think the ACC is just in general uh, the offensive conference. Uh, Like, I don't necessarily know if you're looking at, um, you know, Miami and Tyler Van Dyke and you want him over, you know, someone like Michael Penix Jr. or whatever, but... He's a very good college quarterback. And in college football, we are seeing a trend where it comes down to uh, winning teams and successful teams have solid defensive units and have a quarterback that they can rely on to make plays. And I think if you go up and down the ACC, all of these teams that you that you mentioned that have beat SEC teams fit that mold. Like Wake Forest is not necessarily a team that I think of as strong defensively but they are a team that can consistently get stops and put you into third down situations a lot during a, uh, during a game. Uh, And, you know, they're, they're also a a team that recruits quarterbacks really well. Uh, Sam Hartman is now playing at Notre Dame 
And while Griffiths is not necessarily Mitch Griffiths is a he's a sophomore, he's not necessarily lighting the world on fire now, but he's playing really efficiently. And next year, he's going to be that annoying Wake Forest quarterback (laughs) who just dinks and dimes you down the field. And next thing you know, Wake Forest has 40 points. Uh, I think this is one of those situations where we are seeing it, it the the labor of all of these great coaches that the ACC hired a while ago, finally being able to build up their programs. We talked about Miami's, you know, NIL impact, but NIL has meant that teams like a Wake Forest or a Syracuse or a Boston College, even uh, Georgia Tech, especially you you see it in recruiting rankings. These are schools that traditionally would compete against Mac programs and group of five programs for three-star recruits. Now that you have the NIL uh, option, it really becomes apparent that going to a school in the ACC is going to offer you a much higher upside than going to a group of five program. So one of the things that I, I've, you know, I'm coming at this from the Syracuse lens, Syracuse is having its best recruiting 24 months that it's ever had in my, in my time of covering the team. And while it has a top 50 class right now, it is, I believe, 11th in the ACC. Because the entirety of the ACC from top to bottom has really improved in its recruiting. And I think that this is one of those things where it's taken a while before you see the results of that process come to come to bear fruit. But we're seeing it now where uh, I would be very confident matching pretty much anybody outside of Virginia, uh, Boston College and Virginia Tech up against their counterpart in the standings in the SEC. And thinking that that game is probably a coin flip, which is not something that we get to say very often with the ACC, but I think might be the norm moving forward. I completely agree. It's again, I'm not claiming that a team in the ACC is going to beat Georgia or even Tennessee, but when you, for, for most of them, I'll take that back. I'm not claiming that anyone in the ACC can go in there and beat Georgia or Tennessee or even Ole Miss. But as you said, if you sort of take the counterparts, if you put, Florida State against Georgia. If you put North Carolina against Tennessee, I think there are competitive games there. And then the further you go down, I continue to see it. I think if you take Louisville and put them against a middling SEC team, I think those can all be competitive games. And the ACC, as you said, a lot of good programs, a lot of offensive prowess within those programs. And the NIL has definitely helped recruiting. There's money to be had there in terms of Bojangles sponsorships and Food Lion and all these Southern brands that you and I as Syracuse and Pitt guys respectively have come to know and love and embrace. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where over time uh, you might see things level out with the group of five. Like I think, you know, Tulane playing Ole Miss the way that they did and, and having that spectacle this week shows that there are other good programs out there, but we're talking about, you know, next year the ACC is going to add in, SMU. They're going to add California and they're going to add Stanford. And now you're opening up these new markets and these new recruiting territories. And I think one of the things that becomes really important with this expansion isn't necessarily the TV markets. I think that concept is a bit outdated right now. But what it does mean is that if you're a Syracuse or a Pitt or a Georgia Tech or a Virginia Tech, you're going to be in Texas on a relatively consistent basis. You're going to be in California in a relatively consistent basis. And those are areas where, at least historically, you know, the very best players typically stay home. They stay in the SEC. They stay in the Big 12. They stay in the Pac-12. And 
that might not all of a sudden change. But what it does mean is that these coaches now get FaceTime with the high school coaches in those areas. The assistant coaches are now getting FaceTime with high school coaches and other assistant coaches in those spaces. And that's how you increase your recruiting network. You know, something something like Syracuse, uh, a traditional Big East power, once they went to the ACC, you suddenly saw a Florida pipeline open up because they were playing in Florida every single season. And it allowed them to create these relationships and get a better group of athletes uh, from the Florida high school system. So I only think that like one of the things that we'll have to see how it plays out over time, it's not going to be something we immediately see in you know, 2024. But I think in 2027, 2028, you're going to start seeing a lot of Texas and California kids on these rosters, which is only going to make the overall product of the ACC football uh, conference even better. I absolutely agree. I, I think there's a huge advantage when it comes to recruiting in those states, in Texas and in California. Let's be honest, Texas, California, and Florida, that's where th- those are the three biggest states when it comes to recruiting. They are three of the biggest states in the country. They're warm weather states in general, and they've got some phenomenal athletes, and they really prioritize that. And as you said, we both noticed when our program, Syracuse and Pitt, went into the ACC, more Florida kids were were being recruited to the schools because there was now a foothold there, because they would have games, and they could tell recruits, come to the games, and now you, by the way, you can watch our games on TV. They're going to be in on TV in Florida more often. So your parents can watch, your parents can come to the games, your families. And now coming up next year, that's going to be the case in Texas and California. Sure. There have been a couple Texas players. I don't really recall almost any California players that have come and and been prolific at ACC programs outside of some transfers. Occasionally someone will come and transfer from a USC or something like that and find their way in the ACC. But for the most part, people don't come out of high school from California from Texas and go to ACC schools, that's going to be happening more and more. And because of that, I know there's a disparity in TV money and in some of these boosters and NIL with the SECs and the Big Tens and some of those big schools. But the ACC, I think, is on the rise and is on the up and up when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to NIL, when it comes to prospects. There's a lot to look forward to. And because of that, people talk about a power two and those two conferences are going to leave the ACC and the Big 12 for dead. I don't know that I see it. I think the ACC can still really compete. We've been seeing it this year, even after the SEC is making a boatload of money, even after the Big Ten has been making a boatload of money. We'll see in the next few years how that affects things, but I think the ACC can absolutely still hang. Agreed. Absolutely. And I and I think one of the things that is going to be interesting is, is more of these matchups that are coming up. You know, Syracuse is playing in the Chick-fil-A kickoff in a few years down in Atlanta against Tennessee. Do I think Syracuse wins that game right now? Absolutely not. But in a couple of years, it will be interesting to see how Syracuse, how a school like Syracuse that is middle to bottom of the ACC in football pretty consistently hangs with a, a Tennessee that should be at the top of the SEC. You know, is it a blowout game or, or is it close? And I think these are the measuring sticks that, we inevitably hold ourselves to consistently uh, in, in the college football world. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So let's, let's get back into the action with a team. That's not in any conference, Notre Dame, a team <laughs> that we'll talk about come basketball season, but not right now. Uh, Notre Dame versus NC state. They played each other. There was a long delay for this one because of lightning. When they came back though, Notre Dame ended up pulling away 45 to 24 what did you think about what the Wolfpack were able to do against a now undefeated Notre Dame team that's looking really good? 
I mean, the lightning delay definitively adds a wrinkle into this whole analysis because it's it's just so tough if you're a coach, if you're a team, to have that long of a, a, a break where you're essentially still trying to keep the team warm, you're trying to keep the team engaged. It, it's it's just tough to do. So I, I'm going to caveat everything here. I say with like, it was a weird game situation. Notre Dame was more talented than NC State. They won. That's going to happen when you end up in these weird scenarios. However... I did have a moment early on in this game, uh, both before the lightning happened and after the game restarted, where Notre Dame's offense really did have a lot of trouble with NC State. NC State was doing that thing that they always do. They're sending a ton of pressure from a lot of different looks. They were getting in Sam Hartman's face. They weren't letting him make those quick reads that uh, have made him so successful in the past. They were stuffing the run really effectively. And it was one of those situations where you kind of had to take a step back and you go like, is NC state's defense this good or is Notre Dame's offense nearly not as not nearly as good as we thought it was going to be. And I think the answer was that NC state's defense was just on the field too much. Like by the, by the time that Notre Dame had seen the the defense enough times, they had gotten enough looks, they were able to adjust, they were able to wear down this defense to the point that we saw, you know, Sam Hartman was able to get those looks back. Estime is an absolute beast at, at running back for Notre Dame. He was able to get his, uh, you know, 14 carries for 134 yards and two touchdowns there. I think that this is a situation where this Notre Dame team is very good. Uh, I don't know if I'm willing to say that they're a playoff contender yet because we have seen, you know, what a playoff team needs to look like and you need to be one of, you just need to be solid all the way around. And I did not think that Brennan Armstrong or the NC state offense looked particularly great in this game. And they still were able to put up 24 points against the third game defense. But um, I think that what you can say about NC state is that if the offense can figure it out, that defense is going to win you a lot of games in the in the ACC when you play the middle to bottom tier of the conference. I agree. I think NC State looked solid. No, Notre Dame did look really good. I'm not sure if they'll be at the level in terms of playoff consideration. But as you said, Sam Hartman, former ACC guy, he looked really good. Estimate, as you said, looked like an absolute beast. And... Yeah, it's it's tough. The lightning delay really did throw a wrinkle into it. And as time went on, it just I mean, at the end of the third quarter, it was 24 to 17. This was a close game that Notre Dame, they, their offense did not look phenomenal necessarily. And then it really just was OK by the fourth quarter. They sort of warmed down and Notre Dame went on. But the fact that at the end of the third quarter, 24 17, that's a pretty solid setup for NC state and yeah, they weren't able to keep it close in the fourth, but I don't think this is doom and gloom for NC state. I don't necessarily think that, that I think Notre Dame's good. I'm not sure that they are, as you said, playoff good, but Notre Dame, they're legit. This is not, this is, this is not a a typical imposter Notre Dame team. They're very good. And NC State, for a lot of that game, they they held close with them. So I think it's a respectable game from the Wolfpack. They just weren't able to get it done in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that fourth quarter starts off with the Brennan Armstrong, um, you know, interception that then leads to an Notre Dame touchdown. NC State then 
follows it up on their next drive with yet another interception. And that pretty much just gifts the game to, to NC state from, or to Notre Dame from there. And I think that that's been the biggest question around NC state, you know, Brendan Armstrong, we've, we've seen him now for two seasons and two games, and we have seen two very different quarterbacks. Uh, And this season we've seen kind of somewhere in the middle where you're not seeing the big explosiveness of, of Brennan Armstrong. You're not seeing him have those keeping plays alive uh, when they should be dead kind of moments. He's limiting the mistakes a bit. Uh, today was really the first time where you really saw kind of the Brennan Armstrong blow up moment. And I have faith that he and Robert and I are going to figure something out. It's just a matter of when and, and the timing and how that works out for NC state, because, you know, not, not to play the schedule game with them, but, they they have VMI this week. That's that's an easy you know easy W right there. They go on the road to a Virginia team that's been struggling, um, but then from there they have just a gauntlet of games where they they play Louisville, who we know can be squirrely uh, and play solid. They ha- they host Marshall, who is probably not going to be all that good, but has a history of winning ugly against teams that are better than them. And then they have Duke, Clemson, Miami, Wake Forest all in a row. And so if Brennan Armstrong doesn't get right by that Duke game, I'm not sure that uh, NC State wins a game to finish out the season. Um, so th- this is going to be really fascinating for me to watch, mostly because I think that NC State is a team where if things go really well, they can be eight and four, nine and three. But I think we saw against Notre Dame what can happen where if Brennan Armstrong is making these mistakes – the the wheels are going to come off this wagon real quick. Absolutely. They are running out of time for sure. Let's talk about a now a Big 12 ACC game, formerly a Big East rivalry. That was the renewal of the River City rivalry between Cincinnati and Pitt. Cincinnati beat Pitt 27 to 21. This was a tough one for me. Uh, again, I am uh, over and I manage the Pitt Talk Network, so we know where my allegiances lie. Andy, what were your takeaways from this pit game? Because I have quite a few. I was going to say, I think you're probably more qualified to talk about this game than I am. And this game also had the displeasure of running up against, you know, Bama and and Texas for a while, <laughs> which is the game that I think most of us were watching in some way, shape or form. But what I saw was, I think one of the things that we had talked about in this, you know, in the week one preview you know, Phil Dracovic and this offense just did not look good. They couldn't get anything going. And I don't think that Cincinnati's defense is at the level where that should be how you start a home game in week two of the college football season. And if we've, we've seen before, we saw last year, how Pitt can still win ugly against teams that have uh, offensive firepower by muddying up a game and that defense being elite enough but this was really the first time when I honestly thought like, oh, maybe the Narduzzi magic run isn't going to happen here because Cincinnati was able to just build up such a quick and significant lead and, and the pit offense wasn't able to do anything against it. So, yeah, my my number one takeaway from this is that Phil Dracovic is a bad quarterback. I don't know if he used to be good. I don't, I mean, at Boston college, he looked solid. So we've people who've covered the ACC. We've seen him. He's not a new entity, but right now he looked dreadful. That was the worst game I've seen from a pit quarterback in years. Phil Dracovic 
through 10 for 32. 10 for 32 against Cincinnati. He did have 179 yards. He had three touchdowns. He didn't throw an interception. But what I could not understand about him was that his throws weren't just incompletions. They weren't even close. There were plays where he threw behind a player. There was a guy that was open and he just threw behind him. There were plays where he threw toward the sideline and his throws just went out of bounds. So, and it seemed like he was frustrated. I don't know who was he frustrated with himself because he should have been. Was he frustrated with his receivers because he shouldn't be because his throws were out of bounds. They were not catchable by Andre the giant. Okay. These were, he was so ridiculously off target. Now the offensive line did him no favors. They had a bad game. The running game was never established. I don't know what Frank Signetti's game plan was there because there are a lot of talented running backs on this team. Frank Signetti, also a former Boston College offensive coordinator. They just didn't establish that at all. And even when they saw that Phil Dracovic was very clearly struggling, they didn't adjust to get him wheel routes or passes in the flat or five-yard plays. They kept trying to have him throw 15, 20 yards down the field, and he couldn't do it. He was wildly inaccurate. It was, as as a pit guy, it was incredibly frustrating to watch. I don't know how Pat Narduzzi can justify starting him next week, but I still think he will. I don't know if it's out of loyalty or stubbornness or what. And if you're Narduzzi or if you're a pit fan, you hope that it's just a one-off, that he had one bad game and he'll come back next week. But I don't know. Phil Dracovic looks cooked. Those passes were atrocious. And if he's leading the pit offense... That offense is one of the worst in the ACC. They can't do much of anything. And Pitt, when you talk about power rankings, what they can do in the ACC, their chances will tumble down if Phil Dracovic and the offense that we saw against Cincinnati continues to lead the way. Yeah, I I think that the the biggest takeaway that I had from this game is not just that, you know, Pitt is dropping out of, of my contenders for the <laughs> ACC title, um, it's more or less like this, this team has a very obvious ceiling as long as Djokovic is the quarterback, unless he takes a, a pretty big step forward. And he's not the typical profiled quarterback who you're going to see improve as the season goes on. He, he kind of is what he is at this point. Yep. And I think that that's really worrying if you're pit, because like I, like I've said before on the show, I, I really am a believer in that defense being good enough to carry you in a game against a UNC against an FSU. But that off that offense was just borderline uh, surprisingly bad. Like you knew that the offense wasn't going to be the Kenny Pickett level pit, but it looked a lot closer to last year's offense than, than the good offense that uh, Narduzzi and Pitt has put together before. And that to me is, is going to be a giant red flag that we're watching from, from here on out. Absolutely. It looks like yet another transfer quarterback bust happened a few years ago. Max Brown from UNC. It happened last year. Keaton Slovis from USC. And we thought, okay, stay away from Southern California. Keep it uh, in the region. Phil Dracovic. He's from the Pittsburgh area transfer from Boston college. He seems to to be a failure as well. And as you said, he's established. He's been in college football for years. He should be better than this. And he's not. So he's not going to get better than what we saw. I just don't see it. To me, I would make a change. Christian Veyer is a junior quarterback transfer from Penn State. I would make the change there. 
I don't expect that it's going to happen, but just really frustrating. And the offense, as you said, it, it probably it should be better. They have talent. It, there was a final drive. Pitt's defense struggled in the first half. They settled down in the second. They had an interception in the fourth quarter. And Pitt's offense got the ball back right in just inside Cincinnati territory, down six. So a chance to take the lead. And on that drive, we didn't see Rodney Hammond on the field, who's the most talented running back. We didn't see Gavin Bartholomew on the field, the leading tight end, who just the drive previously had an incredible catch and a touchdown. I don't know what the game plan was there from Frank Signetti, but the offense looked lost. You've got playmakers on there like Hammond, like Bartholomew. Mumfield did catch two touchdown passes, but it won't matter if Phil Dracovic is throwing ducks out there. And that's what we saw. He was 10 for 32. It was dreadful. We'll talk about a preview of the backyard brawl, but I'm with you. I think Pitt, if they, unless they massively turn it around, unless for Dracovic was one weird day and things change or Veyer comes in and they go to the backup and he's great. Outside of that, Pitt's chances at competing to make it to the ACC championship game are pretty much done and dusted unless that was a fluke, a one-off, and they can fix things. Yeah, it's 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 not great. Um, and it's it's really upsetting that uh it, it seems like this, you know, we talked about how deep the ACC is. I still think Pitt's a good team. But it is sad, you know, as we elevate Miami to the level of, you know, contender for the ACC title game, we're basically dropping Pitt off of that list. Yep. Uh, you know, the, I was really hoping we'd be in a situation where there's five or six teams that we're talking about for our top five power rankings. <laughs> and it really does seem like there can only be four. There can only be four teams that we're very sure about. And then everybody else is is various flavors of, well, we'll wait and see. <laughs> Completely agree. There's one more uh, game that we want to talk about in depth. That is North Carolina versus App State. This game, we didn't necessarily expect that it would be this close, especially after the performance the Tar Heels put on against South Carolina in week one. But boy, this came right down to the wire. North Carolina beat App State 40 to 34, but it took double overtime to do it. This game, it had a lot of drama. It it could have been won by North Carolina in the final seconds of regulation, but they missed a game-winning field goal that brought it into OT. What did you think about the struggles that the Tar Heels had yet again with App State? I think this is just clearly going to be that game that uh, UNC struggles with. You know, Drake May uh, threw the ball 30 times for 200 yards, didn't have any touchdowns. All of UNC's touchdowns came on the ground. Uh, they looked fine on offense again they put up 40 points you know 13 of those came in in overtime but i thought what app state was doing from from the parts of the game that i was able to watch and then you know supplementing with highlights app state was doing a great job of just limiting unc in space a lot of what that offense wants to do is is let drake may just find the open guy and then you know uh, pick up some yards afterwards if it's a, if it's you know consistently move the ball down the field in in small chunks App State was doing a great job of limiting that damage in the open field. And so UNC tried to counter uh, running the ball. And Omarion Hampton had himself a day, uh, 234 yards on the ground on 26 carries, three touchdowns. It was one of those situations where App State was willing to lose the game on the ground because it meant that Drake May wasn't going to beat them. And, I, and it showed in the time of possession, uh, App State ended up having 
I want to make sure I get this exactly right. Yeah, App State had the ball for 33 minutes to UNC's 26. And so the idea was like, look, if you're going to have to run this ball, and we're going to slow this game down and eliminate plays. We probably have a better shot at winning this game. So I think it's something where we had had a lot of questions about the UNC defense. I think the UNC defense is still improved over last year. However, this was a decent reminder that if that UNC defense doesn't improve, the the game plan is to just take the ball out of Drake May's ha- hands by running a ground-based attack, take your time on offense, and even though UNC will be able to score on you, that defense can't necessarily stop you uh, when you're running you know, at a slow pace if you, if you figured out how to take advantage of them. Um, so... Uh, Relatively, you know, there were only there was only one turnover for the whole game. It was a great game. I don't know if this is a situation where we just saw App State's best and and UNC just kind of had to survive it, but it does bring me pause. You know, we were t- we're t- when we're looking at L- when we're looking at FSU and what they did to LSU, it does seem as if they are on another level that UNC is just maybe not quite at. And again, we've got a long time before. Um, we would potentially see that matchup, uh, but it does kind of give me pause and a bit of concern that UNC just might not have that killer instinct in them, might not be able to put games away in the way that FSU will uh, pretty consistently this season. I'm in agreement. I think most of us outside of maybe some, some Knowles fans want this to be a competitive race for the ACC, want it to be a competitive ACC championship game. You don't want to have it where the first time that Pitt made it to the ACC championship game, they won the coastal, they played Clemson. They just got dropped. It was never in question. And you don't want that. You want an exciting ACC championship game. You want a heavyweight battle there, or at least a chance that the second team can win it. And right now, it looks like Florida State can just run away with this. It's still very early. And there's a decent chance that this is just an App State thing. App State is a giant killer. And they're they're a David against the Goliaths. And to them, everyone is a Goliath. <laughs> they play some, some great games against tough competition. North Carolina struggles with that. A lot of teams struggle with them. But North Carolina specifically struggled last year, struggled this year. Matt Brown is not scheduling them again. He had some comments afterwards saying they're a great program. It's a great rivalry. But let East Carolina play them. Let these other schools in, in the state play them. We're not doing it because they know how dangerous App State is. So I'm fully willing to accept that maybe it was a one-off and App State just gave them the best challenge that they have in them and that North Carolina sort of played down. But I'm in agreement that based off that game, based off the eye test, they just don't look like they can compete with Florida state for the top. Still definitely a fun game. Maybe it's a one-off, but we'll see. Uh, Let's talk about a couple other scores uh, around the ACC. Louisville beat Murray state 56 to nothing on Thursday night. Wake Forest beat beat Vanderbilt, an ACC over an SEC school, 36-20. to Boston College just barely hung on to beat Holy Cross, 31-28. to Virginia lost to James Madison, another in-state potential upset turned into an actual upset. James upset. James Madison won 36-35. to In a Big Ten ACC battle, Purdue beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, 24-17. to Georgia Tech handled South Carolina State 48 to 13. 
Clemson took care of Charleston Southern 66-17 to down there in South Carolina. Syracuse handled Western Michigan 48-7. to Duke beat Lafayette 42-7. to And Florida State beat USM 66-13. to Andy, any thoughts on those not-as-high-profile games? Yeah, you know, James Madison was the favorite, technically UVA covered. Uh, so, you know, that's a good, good moral victory there for, for Virginia. Uh, one of the biggest things to come out of this, though, was uh, on the Syracuse game, Oronde Gatson, the second, a first team all ACC preseason uh, tight end wide receiver player on the Blitnikoff Award watch, left the game in the second drive uh, with what appeared to be an ankle injury. He returned to the sidelines in a walking boot almost immediately after there are now uh, reports swirling that he was coming into the game with an ankle injury and it has only gotten worse. So that would be, you know, Syracuse has, we're going to talk about them in the uh, games coming up in week three. Uh, but Aronde Gatson was going to be one of the best pass catchers in the ACC this season. If he is going to miss a significant amount of time, not only does it, you know, hurt Syracuse this year, uh, but Gatson was always expected to jump to the pros next year, which probably means that uh, th- this injury will be taken pretty conservatively in his in his recovery. And it could, we could be without one of the better ACC offensive players for a good portion of the season, which would not be ideal for me as a Syracuse fan. But for anybody who wanted to see, you know, an ACC guy at the top of, you know, leaderboards and, and award watch lists as the season goes on. Absolutely. The ACC, as we were talking about earlier, has become known for having some offensive skill players jump off the page, be some of the best in the country. Last thing you want is for one of the top receivers in the ACC to be sidelined. We will take a quick break here, a couple ads, and be back in just a moment to talk about some week three matchups we're excited about and our power rankings in the ACC. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back here on Action Packed. I'm Corey Cohen with my co-host Andy Pregler. Andy, let's get into some game previews looking ahead to next week. Uh, We can start in chronological order with Louisville, Indiana kicking off at noon on Saturday. Pretty interesting game. Louisville, they've looked solid so far. What do you think about this matchup? I think that this is going to be one of those, this is going to be a weird game. Um, It's actually being played in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium instead of on Indiana's campus. Those always lead to wonky environments here. Uh, You know, Louisville is also not that far away from Indiana, so we could see this be more of a neutral site game than a home game. And the Cardinals are favored by 10 right now, which I think tracks Indiana is one of these teams where, uh, they played Ohio State really well, and I think that everybody was a bit surprised with how well uh, they played Ohio State. Took care of Indiana State this past week. I'm still not sure that this Indiana team is is very good. Um, so I think this will be a good measuring stick for Louisville, who had that weird game against Georgia Tech to open the season, uh, but is a team where we all think that there's a ton of offensive potential here. Uh, you know, Jack Plummer is a quarterback who I don't necessarily think is in the top half of ACC quarterbacks, but I do think that he's a really solid player and he's in a scheme where he can be successful and limit his mistakes. Uh, Jawar Jordan has looked really good for Louisville on the ground so far this season as well. So if this is a game where Louisville can establish its offense early, 
we could see them get a, a win over what I think is going to be, you know, a bottom half Big Ten team that does have bowl potential. Uh, and I think it, it'll be a big road win for Louisville. They have an interesting schedule coming up that starts with this game uh, and then includes games against Boston College, NC State, Notre Dame, and Pitt. Uh, so this is going, this is the beginning of the real season for Louisville here. And I'm really intrigued to see what and how they handle this kind of neutral site away game challenge, uh, against Indiana. Yeah. I think this is going to tell us a lot about both programs. We've said that we said that last week, and I I think it's going to be true of this game where for Louisville, we'll learn about them. How good are they? Are they one of the better teams in the ACC? And this was a a quick turnaround and with the, the change in coaching that that ended up really putting them on a solid course, or is Indiana actually a pretty good Big Ten team? And they played Ohio State fairly close in week one. They didn't score much, but they held Ohio State to just 23 points. So this could go either way. I I could make a case for either team, but I do think we'll learn a lot after this game, whatever it is. We'll learn some about Georgia Tech based on how Louisville does, and we'll see. We can try to figure out how good Georgia Tech is. So I, I do think there's a lot there to learn in this game. I think I I like Louisville. I actually think they win by a close game. I'm going to say three points, but as you said, it'll be fascinating to see this matchup and to see it in a neutral site in two States that border each other in Indianapolis, where there could be a a bunch of Cardinals fans. There should be an exciting contest. Let's move on to three 30 Minnesota versus North Carolina, another ACC versus big 10 matchup. Tar Heels coming off nearly losing to App State. Do you think they can bounce back and play strong against Minnesota? I would hope that they can. Uh, you know, I think we we have continued to talk about the high hopes that we have for North Carolina. They actually dropped in the polls this week they, that just came out. They went from number 17 to 20 in the polls based off of that App State game. So if you're worried about uh, UNC having motivation, it's definitely there. Uh, it's, it's just one of these situations where, you know, Minnesota's two and O I don't necessarily think that they're going to win the big 10 West or be competitive in, in that division. However, you know, PJ Fleck has a history of, of winning games like this, of, of taking what, you know, is UNC's biggest strength, which is Drake may and the short passing attack and turning it in on yourself or removing it from the game plan in some way, shape or form. So I'm really intrigued. Uh, we saw that in the Nebraska opener that they had where they won 13 to 10. Uh, they will find ways to scheme themselves into the best situation possible. However, they played a not very good Eastern Michigan team and only won 25 to six. So I'm starting to wonder if there's really any offensive firepower here. So what I will be looking towards for UNC is start quick put some scores up on the board and see if and see if Minnesota can chase this game because I'm not necessarily sure the Gophers have the offense to keep up with UNC if they're able to uh, come out of the gate hot. I'm with you. I think, yeah, P.J. Fleck, he's always good for an upset somewhere along the line. He's a very good coach, but Minnesota just doesn't seem to have it this year. They barely beat Nebraska, a team that clearly is not that good. As you said, they struggled to, to put up points against Eastern Michigan. North Carolina, if if we're talking about was that game against App State a fluke because it's App State or is that more what they are? I'm going to say it's a fluke. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt 
give App State the benefit of the doubt for what they're able to do. I'm going to say North Carolina wins this one by around a touchdown lines at six and a half. So I think that's a fair spot to be. Uh, let's talk about, let's go into the evening. Georgia Tech versus Ole Miss. Uh, this is an interesting one. We mentioned ACC, SEC. I don't think either of us are expecting that record to look so pristine after this game. Ole Miss, one of the top teams in the country. Georgia Tech struggling out of the gate. What are you looking forward to in this? I'm intrigued. Uh, Ole Miss is a team that has come in with a lot of hype. Uh, they handled a very good Tulane team on the road, uh, something I didn't think that they were going to be able to do, frankly. And I think that they are firmly established as a dark horse team in the SEC. So then you turn around and you go Georgia Tech. Well, you know, in years past, this is a game that Georgia Tech would lose 50 to three. Nobody would bat an eye at it. And I think that if you're Georgia Tech, you're not trying to win this game. You're just trying to show that you can hang tough with a team that's as good as Ole Miss. Because if you're Georgia Tech this season, you know, your goal is to get to a bowl game. You need to win six games. I don't necessarily know if there are five more games on the schedule where Georgia Tech is going to be favored. So if, if you're a Yellow Jacket fan, if you're a fan of the ACC and you want to see uh, you know, Georgia Tech improve and, and be better and improve that bottom half of the conference, you just want to see them hang tough. Uh, that's going to require playing some decent defense, which we haven't really seen from Georgia Tech yet. It's going to require, you know, really cleaning up the special teams mistakes that we saw in week one against uh, Louisville. And it's going to require uh, the Georgia Tech offense to put some points up on the board, which is something that we have seen so far. And I'm really curious to see if Haynes King, the, you know, the sophomore quarterback is able to continue uh, being, you know, so successful so far. He's thrown for 290 yards, uh, four touchdowns so far in two games. Uh, I'm I'm pos- I'm a little bit optimistic that Georgia Tech will hang in here for a bit. I just don't think that they'll hang in for very long. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, Georgia Tech, you're almost really just looking for moral victories, and you want to try to hang with Ole Miss. You want to try to keep it close, but this is going to be a tough game. It's in Oxford. Ole Miss, I think, is really good. Lane Kiffin, I do think, now that he's sort of matured a little, I think he's a really good coach. I think this might be a, a tough night for Georgia Tech. Let's move on to an exciting game that is in your account, Syracuse versus Purdue, primetime on NBC, 730. Purdue struggled out of the gates with a loss to Fresno State, but they won in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech in week two. Your Orange, they've started 2-0. Now we haven't seen them play very tough competition, wins against Colgate and Western Michigan. So this game should be a big test, and it should tell us a lot about Syracuse. G- give us a preview for this one, Andy. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this game. Uh, it's going to be a tough environment for for Syracuse to go into. It is Purdue's family weekend. They have announced that the game is sold out. It's going to be a very pro Purdue crowd. I'm intrigued to see how Syracuse kind of handles this leveling up in competition. Uh, they were able. They started really slow against Western Michigan. They gave up a 75 yard touchdown to start the game, and from there on, the defense really locked it down. So you don't want to see that slow start against a team like Purdue. Uh, I mentioned the Aronde Gatson injury, which is not ideal, but Syracuse does have a lot of weapons. They're expected to get their number one slot receiver, Trevor uh, Pena, back from uh, injury in this week three contest. So that will alleviate the loss of Gadsden a little bit. Uh, but the big matchup is going to be uh, in the trenches. The, the Syracuse offensive line has not necessarily been the strongest unit in the ACC. 
And last year against Purdue, uh, we really saw Purdue take advantage of Syracuse's offensive line and get into the backfield a lot during the game. So if Syracuse is able to show a bit of improvement against a defensive front that is not as good as last year, I think that Syracuse has a really good chance of, of going in, winning this game. They're favored by one, so it wouldn't be an upset. But I think, like, from a, again, when you're talking about comparing the ACC, I think that a lot of people are going to see this and go, oh, Purdue versus Syracuse and Purdue's hosting. Oh, well, Big Ten teams should beat the ACC team. And I think that from a perception standpoint, it would go a long way for the ACC and for Syracuse, frankly, uh, to win this game where I do think that Syracuse has the better skill position players on both sides of the ball. It's just going to come down to the trenches. And as we know in football, like sometimes if the defensive line is just going to beat the offensive line every snap, there's not going to be a whole lot you can do with those skill position guys. Yeah, I th- this one will be fascinating because we haven't seen too much from Syracuse. I like Syracuse in this one. I like Syracuse to win by a score on the road, four points, six points, somewhere in there. I think Babers, we saw last year that his team start out strong. We'll see if they can finish down the stretch, but they started strong last year. So far, they've started strong this year. Again, not against very hot competition, but I, I would bank that, that Babers can start strong yet again this season, that Syracuse can get a big win for the program, for the conference, and beat Purdue, a team that I think is only mediocre this year i think that loss against fresno state said a lot them beating virginia tech i know it was in blacksburg but virginia tech's not a very good team they won 24 to 17 i think syracuse is legit i think they they're right around the middle of the acc but especially early in the year i like i like the orange so i'm i think syracuse can win this game i think by somewhere between four and six points last game we'll talk about to preview We'll go from your account to my account. That is the return of the backyard brawl in Morgantown, Pitt versus West Virginia. This is the first time back in Morgantown since the renewal of the rivalry. Last year, Pitt beat the Mountaineers in Pittsburgh. This year, it'll be down in West Virginia. It'll be under the lights. It'll be 730 on ABC. The fans will be burning couches. They'll be throwing batteries. They'll be doing God knows what. This is going to be heated. It'll be intense. Pitt looked rough last week. We talked about how bad the offense was. Right now, I think it opened up at Pitt being just a one-point favorite. What do you think about this one, Andy? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about Pitt at nauseum here uh, in the in the review section, and I felt a lot stronger about Pitt winning this game. Um, you know, going into this week, not rather than coming out of this week, um, mostly because. I think that Neil Brown is coaching for his job. Uh, we West Virginia has not looked good. They did not look great in that Penn State game. Penn State was really treating West Virginia like they would a Mac school in terms of playbook uh, exotic exoticism and in terms of how they were really just kind of choosing to attack the West Virginia defense. So I am pretty concerned that West Virginia is a bad team. However... We just spent a whole review section talking about how we don't think that the pit offense is very good. And so for me, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is how long of a leash does Djokovic have if the game is not going really anywhere. Like I think uh, the Colorado-Nebraska game that we saw to kick off this Saturday where it was 0-0 for a very long time. It was just very obvious that both offenses were running into really well-schemed out defenses. I think that there's a very good shot that that happens in this game. 
And it's a matter of the pit offense and, and Pat Narduzzi making the decision. Do we want Djokovic to try to work his way out of this? Are we going to just try to default to the run game here and try to win this game three yards at a time? How Pitt answers that question to me is going to be the most interesting thing to come out of this game. Aside from, you know, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. This was always the biggest college football game of the year in Western Pennsylvania. I'm I'm glad that it's back. I'm glad that it's going to be in Morgantown because it's a great place for a rivalry game to be played. Uh, but I do think that Pitt is the better team here. It's just a matter of do does Pitt have a quarterback that can go on the road in a hostile environment and make enough plays uh, to win the ball game. Yeah, Pitt definitely has the talent advantage, but it it as you said, it comes down to Phil Jakovic. Is he going to be terrible again? And if he is, is Pat Narduzzi actually going to make a change mid game? Either change the game plan or change the quarterback. Because if he's playing as poorly as he did against Cincinnati, you cannot keep Phil Dracovic in that offense out there. Something's going to have to change. Both teams care so much about this rivalry. Both coaches are going to go all out to get a victory. Neil Brown, especially because he is coaching for his job. If he loses this game, there's a chance they could fire him on the spot. So I think West Virginia gives the best battle they've got. I think Pitt still edges out a victory, but by just a couple of points and there might be a quarterback change. I I think it's going to be a fun rivalry. As you said, it's going to be a brutal atmosphere for Pitt. I think the Panthers pull it off, but oh, this this game, it's going to be tight. It's going to be really difficult, exciting, but difficult that on two separate networks, there are going to be two, which should be really close games with ACC schools, Syracuse versus Purdue on NBC, Pitt versus West Virginia on ABC, because both of those games, I think, can come right down to the wire. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this Saturday night. I'm a rather annoyed that I will be t- recording. Thank you to this not a paid advertisement, but thank you to YouTube TV for the DVR feature because I unfortunately am in the midst of fall wedding season. So I will not be able to watch the first half of these games live. Uh, but I do think that if you are an ACC fan, this Saturday night's going to be great because this, the just the scene that will be set, and I think ABC has done a fantastic job of showcasing the college environments of big games. The Pitt West Virginia game is going to be a fantastic environment, whether the game is going to be exciting or whether the game is <laughs> just going to be close remains to be seen. But I do think that the Pitt West Virginia game is going to feel like a big time college football game. And again, I think we're both in agreement. Pitt is the better team, but it's just going to be about, can they, can they do what you need to do in a big rivalry game and not make mistakes come through on third downs, do all the little things that you expect an Arduzzi team to be able to do. Uh, and I think that they can win. I think they can win the game if that happens. Yeah, we'll see. I think uh, both of us will be holding our breath. You until after you get back from the wedding, uh, me until, until after the game is over and, and we'll see what goes from there. But I'm in agreement. Saturday night should be just a thrilling night of college football. Uh, it will be the end of the first night of Rosh Hashanah for anyone observing. So you can turn on the TV and watch some great college football action uh, to, to bring you back in. Before we go, Andy, let's do some power rankings of the ACC. As you said, we were sort of hoping there'd be six teams really fighting for five spots. Might not be quite that competitive. We'll start at number one. I think we've got the same team. Who's number one for you? 
It's Florida State. It's going to be yeah. Florida State until proven otherwise. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Florida State by a mile at the moment. Who's your number two? I know you said maybe you're a little flaky with UNC after that close game against App State. What do you think? I'm going to I'm going to be reactive. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to put Miami at number two. I think Ooh. I really liked what Miami showed. Uh, again, I still have questions, but that Miami UNC game in the middle of the season right now looks like one of the best ACC games that we're going to get. Uh, this entire year. So I'm excited and I, I have Miami number two as a as a reaction to this week's big win. I like it. I like it. So I'm going to stick with a bit of status quo and I will give some benefit of the doubt to UNC and credit to App State. I'm going to keep the Tar Heels at number two for now. Who's your number three? My number three is the Tar Heels. I, I do think that they they still deserve credit for that win over South Carolina. You know, they didn't lose to App State. They they should have won it in regulation over instead of having the double overtime. So, you know, you kind of have to just say, like, look, special teams, things are going to happen. So I'll I'll give you I'll keep UNC in the top three. But for now, I think Miami has a little bit of a higher ceiling than than UNC has. So I'm going to keep Duke as my number three team. I loved how Miami looked, but. I'm going to keep Duke and until proven otherwise, I will keep them at number three and then we'll go right into it. My number four is Miami. I really like them. I think they're very good. You had them at number two right now. I'll go number four, but they've got a real chance to rise up, maybe be number three. And then as you said, could be on a collision course with North Carolina in a few weeks. Yeah. And that, then that work makes a ton of sense because my number four team is Duke. You know, they beat Clemson who, struggled for a lot longer than they should have with Charleston Southern, which yeah. makes that makes that win over Clemson not less impressive, but a little bit more concerning that maybe this Clemson team doesn't have it in a way that uh, we thought that they might. Um, so I'm going to keep Duke uh, in the top five. They're going to be my number four team, uh, even though they have, you know, the big ACC win uh, on the resume so far. So number five, a team that a lot of people had number one in preseason rankings. I have Clemson. Who do you have? I really, really want to put Syracuse here. I can't do it yet because I haven't played anybody. Uh, I thought about putting Wake Forest here because they had a nice win against an impressive Vanderbilt team that's uh, been putting up some points so far. But I think I'm with you. I think that the talent on Clemson is just too undeniable. Uh, I still think that Cade Klubnik is going to figure it out. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna find out what Clemson has pretty soon because this week uh, they have FAU. Uh, it shouldn't be a tough game. But after that, then they they run into the ACC schedule where they've got Florida State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, and Miami. We'll learn so much about Clemson uh, and how they handle that stretch of games uh, and whether or not they stay in the top five moving forward. Yeah, I think for now. I thought, as you did, about Syracuse. I thought about Louisville. For now, got to stick with Clemson. But I will say, depending what happens this Saturday, if Syracuse beats Purdue, if the Orange look good, they could be knocking on the door. Just a little <laughs> teaser for next week. They could be overtaking Clemson, uh, coming up to a, a matchup between the two Orange schools in just a few weeks down the road. Uh, so those are our power rankings here on Action Packed, and that will do it for this episode. Uh, really great time with you, Andy. Please uh, plug everything that you want to plug. Plugging Level Up on the Fans First Nation uh, college football podcast feed. Really enjoying doing that show. That comes out Wednesday afternoons. 
plugging the Disloyal Idiot Show on Fans First Nation Podcast Network. That show comes out every Sunday night. Uh, we'll be talking about the Purdue game in uh, in detail. Also think that we're going to be chatting with the Purdue crew over on Fans First Sports Nation uh, sometime this week. little cross-pollination between our podcasts. So lots of fun things happening here. And uh, again, this is, this is the busy season. This is the great time of the year. And I'm uh, loving being a part of the Fans First Nation podcast group here and then putting out some great shows for everybody. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Again, please follow FFSN College Football wherever you get your podcasts. You will get all of these shows delivered right to you. Uh, in addition to this show, Andy mentioned his other show. Uh, I co-host Fourth Quarter Chaos with Matt Temanini. That will come out on either Sunday or Monday, depending but a lot of times we're going to try to have it come out Sunday. That will be instant reactions to all of the best and most chaotic games around college football every single week. And then these games will come out. These episodes will come out midweek of Action Packed, all about the ACC. And uh, I'm. you can also find me over at Pit Talk Network. Uh, follow us there. Subscribe to the podcast there. You can find me on social media at Corey E. Cohen. And you can follow uh, Pit Talk Network there as well. In general, a lot of exciting stuff happening here at the Fans First Sports Network. In the thick of college football season, we love it, and we're so thankful for all the listeners and everyone else who loves it just as much as we do. We'll be back next week, but for now, for my co-host Andy Pregler, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Action Packed on the Fans First Sports Network.